Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. Whether you've tuned in to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. My guest this episode is a former U.S. Army Aviation and Missile Command Specialist, as well as a former NASA Operations Development Specialist, and currently is the Associate Director of Learning and Development at GuideHouse, as well as the founder of Power Mental Performance. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Roger Kitchen, Jr., Man, I'm great. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. You know, it's a nice summer That's day. Um, there you go. You know, new podcast guests, you know, so excited to, to have you. I guess to to kind of start us off a little bit, just to, how did you get into kind of uh, the mental performance work you do and, and tell us about power mental performance a bit? So kind of quickly, I fell into it. So what's interesting is I think people, when they come into the space, you know, they've gone through college or they've got an indication, uh, interest in psychology, and they kind of pursue the academic route and then, you know, building their mental, their mental performance practice off that. I, I really fell into it by accident. Um, my background's in human capital organization development. So the, the nerdy term for that is industrial organizational psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was working at NASA. I'm here in Huntsville, Alabama, Marshall Space Flight Center's here. I was doing organization development work there. And one day my government client walks in and says, hey, we're bringing in a sports psychologist. His name's Dr. Matt Park. Uh, I knew him from when we were in California. So I was like, he's going to help us with teams, building teams, training leaders. I'm like, that's great. Don't know anything about sports psychology, but I think it's really cool. So uh, when he came on board with our team working at NASA, we sat in the same office and we just started having these conversations around sports psychology. And what, what I found out really quickly was, man, we're doing the same thing. We just have a different language. Uh, you know, he had coaches and athletes. I had leaders and teams. Yeah. And so we just found out very, it, we, I was working with leaders and training them on becoming better leaders, uh, performing under pressure, working with high performance teams, same thing. How do we cohesively come together in order to perform better? And so we just really learned pretty quickly that we were talking the same thing just had different language um comma space uh, i was my background in athletics is powerlifting i did it in college but hadn't done it you know for a really long time so fast forward 24 25 years i was getting back into it as a master so i was like man i'm nervous the performance anxiety of not competing over two decades and he just kind of walked me through we just had conversations he walked me out of manage all that and then I was like, man, mind blown. Um, I was like, every, really every, I was like, every powerlifter needs it. I did CrossFit for a while just as a hobbyist. I'm like, yeah. man, every CrossFit athlete needs it. And then I was like, man, every athlete needs this. Yeah. And that really was the genesis. I think I'm in year six or seven now of power mental performance. And that's how we started. Started at high schools here in the North Alabama, Tennessee Valley area, and then expanded into some college work. And then I, I do one-on-one client work. So it's a blend of high schools, colleges, and one-on-one client work. Yeah, I saw the the powerlifting background. Um, and I think I when I was a high school athlete, I didn't know anything about mental performance. I, I did love lifting weights. I got into like some competition type stuff. That's cool. Which I think that was where like 
remember someone asked me like, how do you like know when you're going to do more weight? Like that first time you try it, I'm like, well, it's not the first time I've like done it in my head, but I would kind of visual, <laughs> visualize reps before I would physically do yeah. um, before I knew anything about uh, th- this kind of world. Um, you know, talk about, I think, you know, you said you know, this sports psychology. And I think sometimes when you get into it, it's, it's people, it's psychology, the environments, whether it's NASA or sports, um, bring different sets of pressures, expectations, and those kind of things that we we have to use these tools to manage. Um, but what were maybe some of those quick connections that you made that you kind of saw from from that business environment to what athletes were experiencing and maybe yourself uh, as you got back into powerlifting? Uh, so the first thing was team culture. Um, so being very intentional about, so like in business, you're working with leaders on how to build organizational culture, even teams have their own culture that support kind of the overall culture, the mission, vision, core values of of an organization as large as Marshall Space Flight Center up to NASA, as small as down to like a a human capital team performing a specific function. So it was really intentionally thinking in terms of team culture. So when I'd go in and work with teams, that would be usually how I'd lead. You know, I'd, I'd ask a coach, tell me your coaching philosophy describe the culture of your team. Um, and some could articulate it really well and others just struggled with it. And so typically I would lead in with a lot of culture work and then the mental performance piece um, from my own powerlifting background and conversations I had with Dr. Matt Park uh, was really around um, performance in the zone. We'd call it a flow state. So a lot of my first workshops with teams was talking about things that we can control and things we can't control. What's the difference between a process mindset and a results mindset? And so those those dynamics really impact how you move into that zone. And if you ask any athlete, what's the zone feel like? They're like, man, it's, I'm confident. I'm just, I'm super focused. I've blocked out everything. Things just feel effortless. And, you know, if I said, TJ, need you in the zone right now, could you hop into it? No, it's, it's you can't do it. But there's things when you focus on things that you can control and you learn how to execute really well on process, even within a game, controlling your controllables and then just taking it one play at a time, one series at a time, whatever your sport may be, one pitch at a time, one inning at a time. One of my early clients in Huntsville was uh, University of Alabama Huntsville. They had a Division One hockey team and working with their team, getting the guys to think in terms of shifts in their line, one shift at a time, one line at a time. And so early on working with those teams on those types of things, um, cause that's, that's kind of mental skills one-on-one when you learn to really control what you can control, uh, it really makes you a little bit more free. And then just learning how to stay in the present in the moment, one play at a time, staying very process oriented and not focusing on the scoreboard, the wins, losses, the championships you want to win, let the coach do that. That just seems to when when an athlete really grasps that, that just frees them to just play a little bit more loose. Yeah. I like to talk about freeze them because I think then they, you know, I think as your experience when they find that freedom, that they also find a little bit more joy in, in the work and in the and in the sport. Yeah, I, I I think their their experience is just better, right? It's you know. It doesn't mean difficult situations are not going to happen within practice, within training, within a game. Doesn't mean there won't be adversity. Doesn't mean those problems magically go away. 
Um, but you'll be amazed at how a lot of the things an athlete may have struggled with performance wise, they just sort they just sort of learn to let that go. Yeah. Like I always tell them, yeah, um, you know, when you're focusing on things outside of your control, when you start having some of those negative emotions and I'm like, what would that, what might that be? And typically it will be like, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Um, uh, you know, and they, it, it's those negative emotions. I'm like, that's like the check engine light on your car. Yeah. So when the check engine light, like, um, for those of us that drive, um, you know, if there's, for those of us that drive, when that check engine light comes on, we're like, Oh, something's wrong. And I tell them, you know, those negative emotions that you start feeling in practice and training and games, probably your mind is drifting towards things that are just outside of your control. And so then we have a methodology by which we bring athletes back to a place and start focusing on things they can't control. Yeah. I like how you brought up earlier too. And you, you know, said, Hey, can we get you into the zone right now, TJ? Um, You know, when you, you talk to athletes and you ask them, have you ever felt that flow feeling? They usually say, yeah, you know, maybe they maybe." And then if you dig a little deeper, do you know how you got there? Mm, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they knew some things. And then uh, can you talk a little bit about, because I think the other side of, of that coin is when you ask athletes, have you ever not felt in flow state, not felt your best and still performed well? And you usually say, yeah, that's happened too. Um, you know, but can you talk yeah. a little bit just how that when we have these mental skills and tools and tactics to navigate some of the pressures that arise, uh, a, we're more likely to maybe get into that state and B, right below that state is also where a lot of good things happen when it comes to performance. Mm-hmm. Right. Can you talk a little bit about, yeah. as you kind of work, you know, just cause we're working towards maybe a flow state doesn't mean we're going to get there every time. Right. But the skills um, that we have. So if you ask any per, if you ask any athlete what percentage of your sport is mental they'll go 80 90% and 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 I'll say why is that and then they'll talk about the different stress the different pressure one of the reasons is you just don't feel optimal 100% of the time um, and that's why sometimes during training um, practices it can become routine there's just days you show up and don't feel like it it's, it's that leaning in, in those moments to where, you know, it just doesn't feel great today, but I can still perform at my best. So one of the mindsets that we have to shift within athletes is even though I don't feel great, doesn't mean I can't perform great. Right. And so you're setting up a real, cause the myth is unless I feel awesome, that's the only time I can perform. Um, so we shift their mindset to say, um, you may not feel a hundred percent today and that's okay. Just give me a hundred percent. Let's say you're feeling 60. Maybe you didn't get good sleep last night. Maybe you were sick for those in high school and college where it's just been an academic grind, a lot of tests going on finals week, whatever that may be. Um, you know, you can still perform really, really well, even though you don't feel well. And typically what I have seen is athletes, maybe go into a training routine and they don't feel great. I've watched them really perform well. Um, like for power lifters, even hit like PRs in training. Um, and I always want athletes to feel that way in training so that when they get to the, the game, it's like I've repped it out. I've pushed through the adversity um, in the training. Um, 
And so when I get to the game, you know, I'm more comfortable because it's like, look, I've done well during some pretty bad practices. I've still performed well. And so then they can, they can just lean on past experience in order to have a little bit more of that confidence um, as they get into a game or routine. Now there's things in that process. We'll talk about mindfulness, how that can come in, in a daily practice. We'll talk about what you said, the visualization. I've seen it in my head a hundred times, the mental rehearsal. And then, you know, another thing that I work with them on is uh, like powerful uh, self-talk, positive affirmation in order to build that confidence. So how do those three things play into our training routines so that I can perform at my best, even though I may not feel at my best. I love that you brought up uh, self-talk. Uh, I think just huge stu- student athletes. I think uh, I know, I think Trevor Moad, who was on the, the podcast uh, mm-hmm. a while back, you know, I think he has one of his books talks about, you know, how many of you talking to a football team, how many of you talk to yourself and half of them raise their hands. And he's like, are the other half of you right now asking yourself, if you talk to yourself and then, <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, pretty much, you know? Um, but when you're working with younger student athletes, you know, sometimes getting to understand that it isn't just silly fantasizing, you know, whether it does have purpose, it does have something tied to you and what you're probably after and what you're doing. Um, but can you talk a little bit more about ways you maybe introduce self-talk to athletes that have maybe never used that before? Yeah. So um, I use a, the, so the mindfulness visualization and positive self-talk, that's my MVP model. And I have a session on each of those with, with the teams I work with. And so I just, I tell them, I said, look, um, I want you to think of me as a strength and conditioning coach for your brain. Um, that's how I roll. I said, now I'm going to be honest with you. What I do is different. It just is because if you want to get stronger, you can go in the weight room and physically touch a barbell. Yeah. If you, if you want to get faster, there's drills that you can do on a track in a, in a basketball gym. There's all, you know, cone drills and all kinds of other things, but they're all physical and they're all tangible. I said, I'm dealing with your thoughts. I'm dealing with your emotions and your feelings. I said, so what I do is different. So I, I always, that's kind of my disclaimer to a team. One, I need you to have an open mind. Two, I need you to be willing to try something different. And then three, give me some wiggle room and just trust the process a little bit. And so I said, if you're willing to do those three things, we can really, we can really do some great work because at the end of the day, they all want to perform well. They all want to feel confident and they all want to be able to respond to adversity. Well, and really they want to contribute to the team. They want to, they want to contribute to a positive team culture, most of them. And so, you know, we'll do a session on mindfulness and I'll, again, I'll say, look guys, this is just going to feel different. Set the expectation, kind of call it out. It may be the elephant in the room. And I'll say, let's just work on our breathing. And, um, and, and I always tell teams, I'm like, it's the most underrated skill for any high performance athlete, just really getting intentional about how you breathe how mindful you are. And a lot of them are like, really Roger, like that's going to help me open mind. Let's try something different. Give me some wiggle room a little bit and uh, let's go from there. And it's funny on the mindfulness and the breathing. I generally have people a little skeptical at first, but then over time um, I'll talk to athletes that I worked with or, you know, teams I work with the past and I'll say, you know, 
if it's like from one season to another. I'm like, from last season, what's something you remember? You know, what's something that stands out? And usually the breathing and mindfulness is like their number one or number two thing. Sure. So it, it, and they're like, it helps me relax. It helps me reset. Um, One of my stories I love to tell is I was working with a football team. We had a, a rival game, a lot of smack talk going on between the schools during the week. Social media was blowing up and we just went to, it was an away game. We went there and just kind of mopped the floor with them. And so everybody was out on the 50 yard line kind of celebrating the win as, as the crowd just kind of to disperse a little bit, the whole offensive line kind of came around me, big guys. I'm looking up at them, TJ. And uh, they said, Roger, that the breathing stuff we thought was stupid, but it really helped us perform better. And like one of them said, it just helped me reset on every down. Just take a, a, a just take a deep breath and just reset. And if you think about it, watch a baseball pitcher. What does a baseball pitcher do before he he or she throws um, a pitch. It's always that a basketball player before a free throw, what do they do? It, it's intentional breathing, that that cleansing breath that just helps them reset. So, And there's a viral video of LeBron James doing it when he's with the Heat during a crucial point in a playoff game where he just came and sat, closed his eyes, and took three or four long, slow, deep breaths. And the camera was right in his face when he did it. Yeah. And it, it just went viral. And I show that to every single one of my teams. I'm like, if the greatest player uh, in basketball right now can do it, so can you. And so that's, that's just like one example of kind of how do you work through it? Yeah. It's a little bit of trial and error. It's a little bit of just being open-minded and showing them examples of where it's worked for other athletes. Yeah. When you talk about the, I think observing the the pitcher and, and the basketball player and, and you use the football team. I think I played football and I think, you know, I talked earlier about being kind of clueless on having some mental skills and doing some rehearsals, but uh, breathing was not one of them. <laughs> right. That I knew much about uh, when my wife, the time she was my future wife got me into yoga. I was like, man, this would have been some interesting stuff to learn when I was a college athlete. Um, but I, I think when I ask football teams too, when you oversee them, the hard part is fewer teams are huddling up. <laughs> They're so fast paced. They are. Right. And so some offensive coordinators, like we don't have time for any of that, Tyler, but um, you know, I think the other time when you do have a huddle, when I, you know, I think the old NFL films where you see like the, the air coming out, it's really cold and they all kind of, you know, they do the old ready break. Right. But right mm-hmm. before they ready break, you see all their chests rise. Right. And they do. And then they break. Right. And I was like that kind of like come down to earth, but they would take that breath. And it's just like, sometimes we've done that since we were little football players in the huddle, but we've never been intentional with it. Right. So, or, are, or realized how it does help us. You know, yeah. it was kind of, it was just rote action, but not tying it to it's helping me reset. It's helping me stay present. Yeah. And it's like, isn't that your last little thing before you regroup, before you go out and start the play? Like just a little more intention with the time you're already using. And, and like you said, if they have that foundational knowledge of, of how it can help them. Uh, and then examples of other athletes that coaches can bring in, I think are always powerful because I think it's great to see so many more athletes being open about some of the tactics they do, some of the challenges they go through as well about their mental health, mental wellness. Um one of the things I wanted to, to get into as we kind of talk about, 
you know, these tools and the benefits of them. In your earlier career, one of the things you also did is I saw was you were an ROI specialist. Oh, right? wow. Okay. Right? I did a yeah. Little, okay. Do a little research, you know, thanks to okay. LinkedIn here, but, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, so you came from this, you know, other background and then, you know, with this ROI kind of experience, you know, what do you see is kind of the big ROI that sometimes some coaches are missing on not integrating mental skills and leadership trainings into what they're doing? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, it, so here's what I'll say. The division one programs in college sports are now understanding the benefits of sports psychology, even clinical psychology and mental skills coaching for their programs. I think the pandemic has really brought that to the forefront. Um, so the NBA Players Association passed a resolution a couple of years ago that they um, every uh, NBA team has to have a clinical psychologist and I believe a psychiatrist. Um, I think early on it was like two clinical psychologists that the resolution said every NBA team needed to, to partner with. Um, but I think now it's a clinical psychologist and um, a psychiatrist. And that's that's on the forefront of everything the pandemic brought on and plus the popularization of, Hey, look, a lot of NBA players are struggling with mental health and wellness, depression. Kevin Love's been very forward with it. Uh, DeMar Rosen and many others uh, very forward with, you know, what their struggles have been. And then the pandemic hits and everything associated with that. And so the NBA really brought that to the forefront. Now comma space all professional sports have teams working in that space. All division one programs have people working in that space. Um, so it, I think it's easier to talk about. It's more popularized now. Um, for coaches that aren't embracing it, number one, they're missing out on helping their players just as it's a life skill. Um, but I will tell you, they're kind of losing if they're not. So I'm, what I'm seeing now is more teams and coaches embracing it. Um, more teams are becoming very – a lot of Division One teams have leadership councils anyway, um, but a lot of the Division One programs are very intentional now about leader development. They're very intentional about mental health and wellness. Um, so I think it's, it's more popularized. And hopefully, hopefully, this is Roger on the outside looking in. It's just not something actionable and really investing uh, in their players. Uh, my vision for power mental performance is that every client I coach is mental, mentally and emotionally well. Like that's the end result. I just want them to be mentally and emotionally well. And it takes a lot of effort and time to get there. But that's what I hope their intentions are. They see it as a life skill off the field, off the court, off the pitch, off the ice, whatever sport you're is. Because, look, at some point, sports is going to end for that for that guy or girl. And they're going to take it into their homes. They're going to take it into their relationships. They're going to take it into the business world. I was curious to, you know, your observation too, with the athletes and coaches that you work with. Um, when those coaches do finally open up or maybe bring you in or you teach their athletes, you work with them. I find that I have a lot of experience working in the youth and high school ecosystem too, where we just started to ratchet up a lot of the pressures, the NIA, all these things that are on the horizons in the sports culture. Um, you know, there's more yeah. pressure, more expectations, more, I guess, sometimes timeline checks where you need to be, where should you be that, that gets promoted right. and shared out there. 
I find that high school and college athletes are hungry to learn some of these things because they've, whether they've admitted it, noticed it or not, they've struggled sometimes with how they've responded to some of the challenges that sports and especially as you keep playing into that, that collegiate level, um, what it brings. Do you find that, you know, you mentioned the breathing, like they remembered the next year that, man, that was something I was going to grab onto. Mm -hmm. Um, are there other things that you notice uh, student athletes seem to be hungry for when you kind of present it and teach it to them? What are they, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they want to perform well. Um, and sometimes they think bigger, faster, stronger is how I get there. Sure. Um, sometimes they think it's points scored, yards ran, ERA, goal scored, whatever their sport is. Um so it's, it's interesting. I don't know if I necessarily walk in and go, man, these guys are hungry for fill in the blank. Typically what happens is a coach finds out about me. They learn about me. They're like, man, I need that. And so I go in and it's kind of a change management buy-in to use a business term. It's getting them to buy into um, what I'm doing but I, I got to know what the problem is I'm trying to solve. Sure. Like sure. what, you know, typically like one football team I worked with um, there, the first year I was with them, it was like adversity. Like when adversity would hit in a game, they just kind of fold. Yeah. And so um, our theme for that year was rise to the occasion. And so I was really intentional about how I built my program around that need so that if a team went up like 21 nothing in the first quarter on the foot in a football game, they didn't sit there and right. fall back on their heels and just go through motions. They, they basically leaned in and said, let's, we need to just play one down at a time, hang in there and let kind of just, you know, if you stay process oriented, not worry about the score, Let's stay present. Let's play our best best football every down, and you'll find that things just kind of work themselves out. So it isn't necessarily I walk in and I go, man, these guys are hungry. It's me trying to get them to buy in. It's me trying to really find out what's going to resonate with them. Um, I've done evaluations with teams at the end of a season to really get some feedback to see you know, uh, what resonated, what they want me to do more of, less of. You know, what can I do to improve? Uh, it's funny, the mindfulness and breathing pops up quite a bit in those end of season evaluations. But um, but generally, again, if they're open minded, willing to try something different and just kind of trust the process, then usually over a season or some <clears throat> some sessions, then I get a sense for what they what they really want. As we wrap up here, I know you, one other thing you kind of touched on is kind of that training element and with your powerlifting background, uh, you know, you can teach and talk about mental skills and leadership in classrooms and, and get some things accomplished, but it's really kind of out there in the fields and the training and putting it to practical use where we learn how it, how it helps us. Are there things that come to mind? I think, you know, working with football teams too. And a lot of other sports teams, you spend more time training than you do practicing for your sport, but uh, any other kind of mental practices that you like to bring into the kind of the weight room that you think are easy to get some reps at while we're getting some physical reps. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, whether you're in the weight room or, or out on the practice field, running drills. Um, 
one of the one of the things I like to teach teams is just how to, and even individuals, is in that moment where there's just some stress or anxiety, what's the one thing that you can do in that moment to move on to the next play, move on to the next rep in the weight room, even though it's difficult? Um, and it's this concept I call palms down. So when you think about the universal sign, like basketball is a great one. Ref lights you up with a couple fouls. It's not you. You know it's not you. Everybody in the arena knows it's not you. What's the body language? And everybody's like, you know, the anger, the palms go up. And so what I tell athletes is whether you're in practice or training or in a game, we want to have a palms down mentality, which is now I flip my palms down. And what that does is it's a physical trigger for me to just recenter, refocus, and choose the right action. And so you can apply that anywhere. Um, you can apply it in a game situation where the ref lights you up or an umpire blows a call in baseball and you want to go like this. You can literally turn your hands over and just breathe and be okay and choose the right action. You can do it in the weight room where like, you know, in powerlifting, the, the training's really hard. Uh, there are certain workouts that are just difficult. Um, and you kind of get your, like, I have a coach, sends me my program every week. And it's funny, when I saw the program come in Sunday, I'm like, I messaged him. I'm like, you're trying to kill me this week, aren't you? <laughs> and uh, he's like, as is tradition. So I'm like, okay, palms down. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just take a minute, understand it's going to be difficult. But then just approach the training from kind of that neutral mindset. Uh, Trevor Moe had really popularized that, the neutral zone and, and, and the concept of neutrality. But I love showing teams the benefit of just using palms down as a physical cue to reset so that you can do, choose the right next action. That could be a max lift in, in a weight room. That could be having a difficult conversation with somebody in the locker room yeah. where you just breathe, palms down, reset. So you can apply it really a lot of different places. But um, teams really like that concept because it's something very simple, um, but it has a big impact. Mm -hmm.